that last, like, I don't know, five minutes where all that shit happened, I was like, oh my God, give me this. Give me all of this. I want every fucking show to be this profound because this is why it is not Star Wars. This is why I'm not a Star Wars fan, but like, this is why I love Star Trek. Welcome to a new episode of the Star Trek Discovery Recap Freakcast. I'm your host, and I'm back. My name's Anita Sarkeesian, and joining me in sickbay is my fellow science officer, Ebony Adams. Hey, everybody. Before we pull out our dollar store drills and get down to some good old-fashioned head surgery, I want to ask you to help us keep bringing our incredibly lucid and well-informed Star Trek. So you <laughs> couldn't even get through it. You couldn't even get through it. <laughs> no, no. We have very well-informed Star Trek opinions, and we bring them to the airwaves, and we need your help to keep doing that. So if you wouldn't mind, pitch in a few bucks at d.rip slash femfreak to help us keep making all of our great podcasts at Feminist Frequency. This week's show will be giving you our thoughts about an opal for Charon. I, <laughs> I, I really should have let in the show. I believe it's an opal for Karen. For Karen? Yeah, I believe it's pronounced. How Karen. is that Karen? It's C H A R O N. Oh fuck, Greek. All wait, right. Wait a minute, Anita. Anita. I don't did know. You, did you Google the title? Did no. you do any research? No. Okay, we'll get into this. All right. But audience, um, anyways, you see what I'm working with. All three of you who listen, you see what I'm working with. This is episode four of season two with a title that Anita cannot pronounce of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Ebony, you want to give us a, a captain's log so we can have a brief summary of what's happened? Yeah, I do. I do, Anita. I'm so Hi. excited. <laughs> I missed you. Log. I can't believe I missed a whole week. I know. And it was a it was a good episode. We had uh, my friend Francine on who I don't think you've ever met, but I got to get y'all together. Um, But anyway, yeah, let me let me hit you with the captain's log. So a mysterious fear threatens the USS Discovery, even as May and her original (laughs) mushroom blob farm implements a plan that puts Tilly's life in danger. Saru and Burnham's bond grows when Saru is forced to acknowledge a deeply unsettling Kelpian truth. Pike receives new intel on Spock from a loyal friend. Wow. Yeah. So much happened. Yeah, All right. Just like last week, which I, I know you enjoyed that episode because I watched it. I watched you um, like DMing me your responses <laughs> way after I had already recorded the show with Francine. But yeah, like clearly this season we're going to get 17 plots and subplots in every episode. Boy, oh boy. So I... I, I loved your episode with Francine. I listened to it. Um, and I liked last week's episode, man. It I, I didn't realize, like, there was so much bad shit happening, and I loved it. It was great. <laughs> so I was a little bit disappointed when things settled into... I just, I don't think that this week's episode is quite as strong as the last two have been, but it's not as terrible as the first season. So I'm still here. Like, I'm still here, and I'm yeah. still excited. So, um yeah. I have to say, I was I was a bit disappointed at the return of the kind of jokiness um, of, and I, I recognize that as someone who loves the original series, that talking about like the occasional kind of hammy humor, you know, I, it sounds hypocritical, but it's just because tonally, I don't think it works as well. 
um, it's for not this the show. Same and show. It, it just seems yeah. it just seems forced, particularly when it's coupled with my absolute the bane of my existence, random ass trying to be cool 20th century references stop making prince jokes stop making allusions to david bowie like we're talking about people in the far future hundreds of years from now you don't need to play a wycliffe jean song for me on this show to remind me of like pop culture hits from today it it drives me absolutely fucking bananas yeah um i well you know you just got into it um, I like the Prince reference, but I'm such a sucker for Prince. So whatever. I agree that when they played the David, when they're like, what? T- we were so cut way too far into this. Way to go, Ebony. You ruined everything. Um, but do when people hear what I have to deal with, when uh, they're like, and in my own dojo during Black History Month. Oh no boy, respect. Jesus! That's a shout out. That's a call back to Feminist Frequency Radio. So you got to listen. <laughs> you got to listen to next week's episode in the future, and then come back and listen to this. Oh boy. All right. Um, but I agree that like when when Stamets asked Tilly to sing her favorite song. I was like, oh, this is going to be something that we know and it's going to be emotionally resonant and it's going to piss me off because it wouldn't be Tilly's favorite song. Come on. And it's not that you can't love songs from the distant past, but like it just, I don't know. I'm with you on like that shit feeling a little contrived and pulling you out of the, the arena of the emotional arena that is trying to... Trying to say. Okay, well, here's the thing. Let's get into um, whatever you call the segment. Level one diagnostic. Let's talk about it. Um, I felt like... I felt like there was a lot... So here's the thing. is I felt like there was a lot happening. And I, I'm not... I'm not I don't have a problem with a lot happening. Last week, a lot happened, right? But I don't feel like this was as cohesive or as tight. And some of it was probably the direction. And some of it was probably the narrative... And the dialogue. I think that there were pieces of these stories that I found really interesting. And so there are moments when I'm like, yes, give me this. Give me more of this. And then there's most of it. I was like, okay, fine. So, for example, um, the major A plot that's happening in this episode is uh, the discovery gets pulled into some, like, web thing. And... Uh, this this creature or this planet or this whatever the fuck it is has basically taken over the ship and disabled all of their life, like all of the functions on the ship. And they're desperately trying to get out of this situation. And they're taking it as uh, an attack, as like a, a date, like a, a first contact, contact, like conflict, hostile attack. Um, I love how they sorted that out. Like, I love what they did with this. And I think it harkens back to something that I think you brought up on last week's podcast of it's been really frustrating. It's always really frustrating when you watch shows like this and you don't ever ask the alien creature what the fuck they want. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like this was very much there was two parts in the show that did that. Right. Where they finally asked the the alien May what it wants and the and the this major a plot that's happening about why all of a sudden they're being attacked by this unknown entity. That part of the show I found really interesting. And I loved how it um, 
really expanded, you know, our understanding of who um, Saru is. So for those of y'all who have been asking me week on week, did you watch the Star Trek shorts? Did you watch the Star Trek shorts? Yes, I finally went back and watched those. And so learned a little bit more about Saru's history and his presence as the only Kelpian um, in Starfleet and in the Federation at large, right? And the tremendous weight um, that he must carry being the sole representative of his species there. And you know, anytime we get to see Saru, like I'm happy about that. Um, but so one of the things that I loved about this- Were you happy um, about topless Saru? I was not happy about that. But you know, Doug Jones is my boy. So like, I'm happy for him to be getting in all that work. Although I'm sure he is so tired of sitting in that makeup chair, but whatever. I loved how the way that um, we we first see the effect of the sphere on discovery is the universal translator breaking down and what that means. So the universal translator is something that's kind of a, it's been a, a really lazy and tool that's been deployed across speculative fiction since pretty much the dawning of the genre to get over the very real necessity of explaining how people from different cultures, different places, and different species can communicate, right? Like, this is a huge thing. This is a huge thing. We don't even know all of the languages on that are currently spoken on Earth and their grammatical and linguistic rules. And yet these shows posit that within moments of meeting um, an alien species, the universal translator will work some magic like the babble fish in Douglas Adams books, and everyone will be able to understand each other. And so I like that the show kind of throws that up and is like, what happens when this thing that we've taken for granted breaks down? And so you have all of these languages being spoken and not just earth languages, but alien languages. But I was really impressed um, and gratified. I, as you know, I because I'm um, hard of hearing, I watch things with captions. And so I would not have known because I don't speak, you know, many of the languages that are spoken there. I don't speak anything, but, you know, my bootleg dollar store English fluently. Um, but because I'm watching the captions, I was able to see that they had things like, not just like, you know, Mandarin or French, but things like Wolof, right? Which is a language spoken in Senegal and, and Gambia. That's so important because those sorts of things are always forgotten when we talk about earth cultures, earth languages, these huge swaths of people that just get eliminated from our future visions. So it was just the small thing. And I'm like, wow. And you know what? If I hadn't been watching this with captions, I would have never have known yeah, that that's same. what that was. You I know? saw that too. Yeah. yeah I just thought that was... Because I can't hear shit either. <laughs> that was amazing. But I loved how um, Burnham goes to get Saru and she's like, you speak, you learned 94 languages. And so he's able to figure this out. And I love what that was saying about how people... <sighs> When they come in and they deal with a dominant culture, they have to adapt themselves to that dominant culture to survive, you know? Mm -hmm. And so no one apparently speaks Kelpian. And I'm like, Saru, you mean to tell me that no one has come to you and has been like, I want to learn your language. I want to learn more about your culture. You're in this space alone and you never hear anyone speaking your language to you. Like you're forced to, to speak to them. And, and I was just like, that's brutal, you know? And we see some of the weight that he carries. And when he makes that heartbreaking plea to Burnham, you know, like after I'm gone, please take these logs, take my archives. I want people to know more about me and my people, you know? And the fact that he's thinking this, this only will happen after I'm gone, 
the I want my people to know what's possible, but also I want you know the Federation at large to know me. Um, I just oh my god, there was there was moments of such heart and beauty in this episode, and then we got some bullshit ass jokes, and I was like, really, yeah. come on, like I, you I, guys, I, you had it, you had it, you had me there. I didn't feel like it was cohesive at all. Like I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I you know, I'd probably rate the episode like a B minus. Uh, or like a C plus. Like, I don't think it was very solid, but there were like those moments you're talking about. Like the whole, the whole bonding between um, Saru and Michael was just brutal. Right. And like, and you're sitting there being like, there's no way they're actually going to kill him. But also like, are they going to kill him? What's going to happen? Like they did it really well. When they had the bridge crew stand up as Burnham, Burnham, you know, walked him out. And I was like, oh my God, did they, are they going to do this? I will fucking light this yeah. on fire. And I thought that, like, I loved when, oh, I loved the moment when, so the so so when um, Burnham goes to cut it off, which I was like, how the fuck can you do that? Like, I just don't mm-hmm. understand. But, right. and it fall, and his, um, oh God, what does he call them? Ganglia. Thank you. His ganglia fall off. And he's like, Oh my god! Like I, I evolved. Like I, yeah. I in this space, I in within this generation have evolved out of the deep seated fear yeah. that has reaped my people for generations. That has has caused biological changes. That has like mm-hmm. like has fundamentally informed the way that they live and die um, right. as oppressed people. And how powerful is that that Michael is there to witness that? Michael is there um, to help usher him through that. A black woman. Like, how differently would that have read if it had been a white dude there? Yeah, or the captain or something, yeah. Yeah, you know, but it's a black woman. I loved that. Watching Saru be like, I was told I'm not allowed to interfere, but fuck that shit. This is revolutionary, and I can save my people. Yeah, like, we've been lied to. Yeah, yeah, and I... God, I loved that. And that's the thing about this show, like especially this season, is that these are so... This is Star Trek, man. Like, this is the shit. This is Mm -hmm. what we've been waiting for. This is why I was so angry last season because like these are the stories that I want and they're slowly trying to figure out how to tell them again. So this is in beautiful, beautiful contrast to um, the main plot where you have... This entity who, because Sar- because Saru's like, I am going through this biological thing. Wait a fucking minute. I understand what's happening here, right? Like this empathetic connection with this other being that allows me. It was, you know what? It is, it is, it is the discovery version of what's her fuck on Deanna TNG. Troy? Yes, Captain, it is. Cap- Captain, <laughs> I, I'm sensing something. <laughs> Captain, I feel pain. Uh, the creature. I, that is a terrible I, accent in every yeah, but fucking you know way. What I was going for. <laughs> Captain. But it was exactly that, but not in a not with fucking camel toe or whatever. Anyways. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I know my references, man. <laughs> um so anyways, like the beauty of they are not trying to attack us, even though that's what it seems like, right? That everything, our ethnocentric perception is fucking with us and we're about to destroy this goddamn thing and blow it out of the water, metaphorically speaking, when we are just don't know how to look at things differently. 
Right. And that shit was amazing. And so the fact that they're like, no, this is the last contact. They're desperately trying to 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 preserve their history and and archive all of their knowledge and their language. And they just want to give that to us. And they don't know any other way to give it to us but to, like, break our systems. Right. right? Like the desperation of that being and the feel of that and watching them at the end where they're like, the light is like music where they're like, we finally yeah. just opened up to it and it's the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. And then for them to be like the final act of this creature was to save us. Like yeah. that last, like, I don't know, five minutes where all that shit happened. I was like, Oh my God, give me this. Give me yeah. all of this. I want right. every fucking show to be this profound because this is why it is not Star Wars. This is why I'm right. not a Star Wars fan. This is like, whatever. I'm not trying oh to dissolve Star the Wars. Who are going to write like, in now. I don't give a shit. But like, this is why I love Star Trek. Like these two storylines together are just the, the heart and soul of why I am willing to sit through this fucking show. Right. Yeah. And you know, I was really, I, I was obviously disappointed by the way parts of the episode didn't come together, but I did love how that A plot point informed then the B plot point with May and May's attempt to communicate and the ways in which just like, if you, people from fundamentally different perspectives and like, you know, polar opposite positions, you know, the ways in which things can be misread and misunderstood when the stakes are that high, you know? Um, so you have May coming as a representative of, uh, of the mycelial network and saying like, I had to break through. I had to, I had to insert myself in such a way, like I had to make myself visible to you because you are an invader, you know? Like there's no, May's position is that what you have done is a hostile act. Stamets is saying, we didn't intend for it to be a hostile act. I'm sorry, what can I do? But the fact that he is sorry and the fact that, you know, Discovery didn't know what they were doing doesn't negate or eliminate the harm that has been done to the mycelial network. And it appears that the show is going to hold Discovery and Stamets to account for this. Like, I hope so. I mean, is, yeah, ignorance is not an excuse. Um, and so I think like next week we're going to get more of of Tilly in the mycelial network um, and Burnham and I presume Stamets going in uh, to find her. Um, but yeah, just like. <sighs> so I, I don't, I'm not as hopeful as you. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I do, I, I would be very pleased if that's where it goes, but I feel like I did not like this. I did not like anything that happened in this, this whole, t that particular B plot. Like um, I think even, the, even uh, Jet Reno talking about fixing stuff with debt take. You didn't I, love the duct tape No, jokes? because, I, I mean, not really, because, well, one, I think that May's people are called the Giuseppe. I, mm -hmm. I think that that, yeah. um, just, like, they they have a, they are a culture. Um, okay, so what I think, one, I didn't, I get the sense, because I was very relieved when Stamets was like, holy shit, I'm really sorry, right? Like, he's yeah. asking for forgiveness. He's like, we had no idea. But he's such a fucking douchebag that he's like, <laughs> that he's like, but chill, like, but. Yeah. You know, like, he, it wasn't like, I'm really sorry. What can we do to fix this? Like, hey, maybe, like, 
let Tilly go. Like, it was just like, I'm sorry, but how dare you do this thing to Tilly? Which I understand the inclination. I understand why the writers wrote that, but I don't like the way it was handled because now it feels like the Giuseppe are in the wrong, right? Because they're hurting another person because they were hurt. And that, like, we might not have to actually deal with the fact that we have destroyed their ecosystem because um, we just need to protect and save Tilly. And, like, how dare they not accept our apology? Right. Well, there, there definitely is an element of that. But but Stamets does say, can I, f- uh, how can I fix this? You know? And so I guess what I'm looking for is for uh, May or the Jessup to say, you can't fix it because sometimes that is the fact. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can't, you've, you know, burned down the rainforest, you've committed genocide, you know, um, on a community of people, you have poisoned, you know, Flint's water, whatever, like, you cannot fix that. It's not just that, you know, we may or may not accept your apology. The apology and the desire to fix something does not mean that reparations are possible. Um, so we'll see how yeah. how that plays out. I have to say, I laughed so hard when Tilly got encased in like that mycelial sleeping bag and they had to try <laughs> and cut her open and they were right up on it and then like it blows the spores in their faces and I'm like, y'all dummies deserve what you fucking get. Hold the, like, what? Mm-hmm. You No protection on their faces. It's a mushroom. Of course some spores are gonna fly out and totally. you're just gonna be in there like breathing through the and then going like, you guys don't deserve that awesome acid trip. You don't deserve <laughs> to be on mushrooms. You big dummies. So I really hated, um, what was the name of Tignataro's character? Jet or Jet something? Reno. Jet Reno. Jet Reno. Um, I did not like the banter between her and Stamets. Like, all of a sudden, they fucking hate each other. And I'm like, oh, give me a break. This is going to be some bullshit about how they have to work together or some crap. Like, and it bothered me because I'm like, there is no way that Stamets doesn't know what Jet was doing on the planet and how she survived like basically single-handedly right. and how genius like, it was. Like that wouldn't have been in the Discovery newsletter. Like, right? yo, we just <laughs> rescued someone who's been marooned on an asteroid for uh-huh. 18 months alone. Yeah. And like, I get around. I get that Reno might be a little bit like standoffish or whatever, but I don't get that Stamets would be a fucking dick. And so that felt so contrived and stupid and I hated all of it. And then you have Tilly who's like, just being Tilly and like she's being overshadowed in some ways by this stupid exchange that's happening that I fucking hated. And so like, yeah, the duct tape jokes would have been funny, except they weren't because I hated everything that was happening there. I guess I didn't mind. Okay. So I appear to be going back on what I said before about the humor. I didn't mind the duct tape jokes and specifically because I liked, as labored as it was, I liked the tension between um, Reno and Stamets because it allows us to see um, the tension, and I'm inventing this for my own enjoyment, between like the... um, the more kind of working class enlisted version of Starfleet versus the middle class prep school version represented by Stamets. And so like Reno's drill, her references to duct tape, whatever. I'm like, like she's a mechanic at heart, you know? And I feel oh, like she's the, yeah. she's the working class. And like Stamets is just like, you know, he's very proper and upper class. You know, he's the palest person I have ever seen. <laughs> you know? And so I was just like, yeah, I kind of like that because we so rarely um, get... We, you know, like we got Scotty in the original series. We so rarely get to see um, what's going on with the people who are not the folks in power. 
um, and who don't come from privileged backgrounds and who just go about the business of keeping the ship running. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I will accept that completely. I think that that is a, an interpretation I would, like to believe was intentional. I'm being much more generous. You are. This episode, You're being so on generous. this episode um, than I actually felt in the moment. But I think you know, like I'm, I'm honoring that because sometimes your initial response in the moment uh, is one thing, but then given time to think about it longer, um, you, you may have a different reaction, or you may have thought through things, or you know, you just let it cook, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I continue to feel hopeful about this season. In a way that I didn't week by week during season one. You know, it wasn't until like the last two or three episodes where I was like, yo, I'm in it to win it. Um, but from you know, the beginning, there's there's something there. Like they are, they are doing something. And I'm willing to see how this plays out. I wish Pike wasn't there. I know you love that man. I, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm so into him. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And, you know, I know you didn't watch the original series, but it was kind of a cool shout out that they had um, his number one from Enterprise. I want. OK, wait, we there. can't talk about her yet because because um, that is going to be a part of my whatever weird shit you're like. OK, the thing. What do you call it? Well, I was calling the next it segment. highly illogical, but yeah. I've changed it to send us back to the holodeck where it belongs. Okay. Uh, well, let's bring up number one there because I have a okay. comment about that. Okay. Um, every week you're going to change the title of that segment. It's yeah, absolutely. Be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, I just I like him a lot, and I like I. I'm just, sorry. I know I'm so basic, but I also really like how how open and generous he is with his like he's not yeah whatever he's like leading from above. He's definitely superior. He gets the final say, but he's so open to hearing what the other people in the crew believe and watching the Michael and Saru be like, "You need to trust us," and him being like. All of my instincts are saying you're wrong here and I need to protect my crew, but I have such inherent trust in the both of you that I'm going to give this a shot. Like that I am putting our lives in your hands because of how much trust I have. And I think that's fucking beautiful. Like I really like that a lot. You know, when you put it that way, I can, I can see how, um, how it can be read that way. Um, I guess my, my, the cynical part of me responds the fact that he he seems unnecessary, like, let's just have Burnham and Saru. I know. I agree you know? with that. <laughs> because, I agree. Because if he's just there to finally, like, agree to what they say and be won over, what's the point of him? But I get you would say the point of him is to stand around looking good in a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. You know? Whatever. <laughs> But also that like that relationship building, right? Like it's deepening, it's deepening the relationship. Like, here's the thing is it took Michael a long time to be accepted on that ship. And like they fucked up this storyline in season one. But I'm just going to like have my headcanon here and be like, it took her a long time to get accepted. And um, uh, what am I saying? And how like her like Saru fucking hated Michael. Right. And now they're they're so bonded and so connected. And Michael had a terrible relationship with Lorca um, that was manipulative and shitty and exploitative and all this stuff. So, like, there is something to me, uh, the spirit of, like, working together, the spirit of trust, the spirit of, like, one of the things that we like about or me that I like about other Star Treks is that, like, the bridge crew and the core crew like work together and have respect for each other. And like they were, I think the first season they were trying really hard to 
you know, complicate that and like make it, you know, like edgy and whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't need that shit. Like you can create conflict in other parts of these storylines. And and so uh, to me, it's it feels very warm and fuzzy. And also, yeah, he's hot. Huh. <laughs> okay. Okay, Anita. Whatever. But so anyways, yeah, number one, we get to see number one from the Enterprise come over, uh, which I thought was awesome. You know, like just a real, you know, um, wink and, you know, gift to fans of the original series. Because in the original series episode to the cage, we see Pike when he's captain of the Enterprise with number one, played by Majel Barrett, um, who was the wife of Gene Roddenberry. Um, and so like her outfit looked like, you know, the uh, 60s era outfit. She had the same hair. I just, I thought it was great. It's very jarring to me. I knew what they were doing and it looked like they tried to update, but also harken back to how she was dressed. But it really, like, it doesn't work. And well, the, the contrast question is like, why is she wearing that when everyone else is wearing this? The answer to that is that Discovery is a special vessel and they have their own uniforms and everyone dresses the same on on Discovery for the most part. Yeah. Um, whereas on the other ships that aren't science vessels or whatever, they have a different costume. Right. Like I, I, it, I understand the logic, but it felt it felt like it was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed yeah. to in syn- synchronous with the time period. And like that just bothered me. And so I'm going to do my my send it back to the holodeck where it belongs segment early since we're talking about this right now, because you literally didn't listen to me two minutes ago when I said, let's not talk about this yet. You said, listen, you appear to be leading into it. Oh, well, that's fine. We're, we're good. not good at segues. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure if we were done yet. Anyways, OK. Dun dun dun! New segment. <laughs> Send it back to the holodeck where it belongs. Um, so I fucking hated that the episode started with a fucking body pan of number one. That like mm. when we see her, it's from the from her feet panning up through her body slowly, yeah. and then it reveals who she is. And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" This show takes efforts. I say that I'm being generous with that statement um, to not sexualize its female characters. It doesn't do that shit. It doesn't put them in stupid costumes with mini skirts. It doesn't like it doesn't use the camera to objectify women's bodies. So what the fuck was that? <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> right. And it just yes. and then I was like, well, then who is this woman? Mm-hmm. Like, what are they trying to tell us about her? And now that right. I know who she is, I'm like, that's even worse. It really is. It really is. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't work as a self-referential thing. It doesn't work as a non-ironic thing. Like it's just it, unnecessary. There was a weird part at the beginning, too, where the the other woman that came from the Enterprise originally that has the that metal around her mouth. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? She's got. The oh, yeah. Uh, Con. 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 She. um. I feel like I was out of it when I watched this because when they're in they're in um, the captain's office having a ready room or whatever, having a meeting and she walks in and she's like, I'm from the Enterprise. I was like, but haven't we met you already? Yeah. Did I make that up? No, no, we have. Um, maybe the people around her didn't weren't, know weren't around for that because she came over with the other dude right um, the one who died the <laughs> the red shirt who was kind of a douche. Yeah, in, but also with box. Pike. They all came right. together. Right. But like the, the various people who are in the ready room, maybe not all of them knew Okay, where she was from. It seemed I very jarring to me. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that could totally be it. It just seemed really weird and jarring to me. 
Um, yeah. Do you have Do you have a thing this week? Yeah, I do. Um, so this is a small thing, but I'm the queen of small things. So there were points when Saru is trying to help the bridge crew figure out what's going on with the Universal Translator, and he's running from screen to screen. And occasionally, we see what's on the screen, and sometimes it's just. <laughs> It's just like really clear labels, like, you know, uh, warp engines down or whatever it would say, right? And it was just kind of startling and striking because it's so rare that we get stuff like that on Star Trek. Usually when they do a shot of the screens, it's just like blinking lights or, you know, like some sort of pictograph or whatever. And you're like, how do they know what's what's going on, right? Like, it's just things to press. And But this was very clear. And it just, it was like this super large print, like press here. <laughs> I don't know. So I just like... That just tickled me. Um, and then I know this is not what it was, but it seemed like there was a Doctor Who shout out at one point. Burnham says something about reversing the polarity, Aww. which is just a straight up Doctor Whoism. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm not sending that to the holodeck. I want that on the bridge forever and ever. Yeah, I'm into that. Um, before we go into some of the other segments, I do, you know, I don't feel like you and I have discussed really the Red Angel stuff, which is the larger ongoing plot point about Spock. Because I just don't know what the fuck to think It's yet. I'm like, I'm very, me neither, right? And I'm feeling a little like, it, it feels, I'm, I I feel like they could go in a very stupid direction with this. Uh, I'm a little skeptical of it. Like, I'm really holding on to this week to week, It like, the, the stuff that we talked about in this episode that I really liked. Um, but this, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm skeptical. I don't have any thoughts specifically about it yet, but I'm I'm a little bit like, oh, God, don't ruin it. You know, given the way that this show takes pains to constantly prove its Star Trek bona fides with past connections to past shows, I would be surprised if it the Red Angel didn't turn out to be some manifestation of a mysterious alien from like Deep Space Nine or Next Generation. I would be really surprised. But they're not calling the show is not hearkening back to those shows though. It's very rooted in next gen in original series. And well, but I think there there are certain things that it that it does, but I think um it, it's gonna it, it wants to like place its hooks in as many places as it can because it knows its strength. Um is in making sure that Star Trek, longtime Star Trek fans are invested. And the show very much feels as if the way that it wants to cement that support is by saying like, yep, see, we are Star Trek. Like, see, you do know who this person is. You've heard this name before. You've heard of these aliens. You've seen this character. You've heard this language before. So, that, I mean, that's just my impression that it could be completely false. Yeah, yeah, fair. All right. I um so very much missed your hair reports, Ebony, and I think that's what everyone tunes in for every week oh, yeah, here absolutely. on the Star Trek Discovery Recap Freecast. So please regale us with your visions this week. Um, I am so confused by how no one is fixing Burnham's wig in the back week by week. That shit is riding up further and further. <laughs> and it's messing with me and all my secret spots. I don't know what's happening. It's so clear to me, watching it from my couch, that it's not lying flush with her head 
the hair at her the nape of her neck is not behaving the way the hair at the nape of her neck would like it's sticking out at a weird angle and it's fucking with my enjoyment also again there were scenes here that were supposedly back to back where burnham will be like in the science lab and then will run to the bridge or wherever and her hair like the curls are completely different shape they're more defined or whatever and i'm like that's not how black hair works anyway having said that it does appear that the amount that they are leaving out from the half wig she is wearing looks very moisturized, looks very healthy. I think they're giving her regular trims. So I'm giving it a conditional pass for the week. Uh, I did love Tilly's hair after she got shocked. Oh, me too. That was amazing because they yeah. can do so much with it. Is that, I wonder if that's her real hair or if that's a wig. I think it's her real hair. I feel like I've seen uh, pictures of her and I think that's a real hair. The, Although there might be Sarah, extensions. Could be, yeah. Um, the person who's here I'm actually most interested in is Awosakun. And I can't mm. believe that I've never actually Googled that actor to see what her hair is like when it's down. But I'm fascinated. I think it's the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I'm taking it. I love the little... Um the the sh- the way that the hairline, like they shave yeah. the sides for that, that little... That shit is so yeah, sharp. It looks really good. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up by um, giving our respective ratings for this episode. Commander Adams... Where do you come down on this episode? God. Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I'm going to give it a 76. All right. I'm going to give it a 70, a 69, 70. Nice. I feel like it's, <laughs> it's like in the, it's like the highs were great, but the lows were meh. I don't yeah. know. Whatever. So you're giving it a D. Well, I was giving it a C. A C plus, a B minus. Okay. I already said that. I no, no. A, a sixty-nine seventy is a D D plus C minus. No, a seventy is a. Hold on, an A is ninety, an a to, is 100. 90 to hundred. Right. A B is eighty to eighty-nine. 80. C is seventy to. I am so underslept. Whatever. I give it a. <laughs> I give it a B minus minus. Okay. 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 That's cool. Cool. I'm into it. Uh, sing us out, Ebony. Star Trek, I'm gonna let you cook, but you better get it ready. I'm hungry. I am hungry. Mm-hmm. What are we having for lunch? Ooh, I made some delicious shredded chicken. Oh, God that's a good damn it. Yo, it's delicious, but I got, I'm trying to cook all the meat up in my house because I'm going vegan for a month. Shut up. Why are you doing that? Oh my God, we need, can't talk about this on air. No, we can't, but people hit me up with your delicious vegan recipes. All right. I'm so troubled by everything that just happened. (laughs) Join us next week and every week to see what is up on the USS Discovery and whether I can find the will to keep going. And hey, if you like the show or our main show, Feminist Frequency Radio, help us keep making it. Head over to d.rip slash femfreak to become a backer of the show and get access to special perks. Or use a transporter to head over to feministfrequency.com slash donate to make a one-time donation which is also very appreciated. If you like to support the show but don't have any gold press latinum, we would still love for you to rate and review the show. So, wow, this has show a lot, Ebony. <laughs> you, you know, just, you can you write your own <laughs> show descriptions, Anita. You just you see can your face do your right own now. work. I could. I uh, did not for this one. Uh-huh. Anyways, but, okay, I got sidetracked because I'm very tired. We would love it if you would rate and review our show on um, iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts because it helps us uh, get it out to other folks who might value our opinions. I don't know oh, why yeah, they better, would. Much better. Wow, that was smooth. Big thanks.
thanks goes out to our producer Taylor Simmons and Sarah Norales for technical support and Ray Abelar for design wizardry. We will see you next week.